And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of your favorite celebrities. This is Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. Welcome to an all-new episode of Gold Mines. At this point, I don't have to tell you what we do because you should know it. What's understood never needs to be said. Why? Because we're in sync at this point. You know me, I know you. More importantly, I know the things that you want. I know the things that you need, which is why I'm doing this, to give it to you. It's tools, it's ammunition, it's motivation, it's inspiration. More importantly, it's stories, real stories. That's what we get from this podcast. Today's episode will be no different because, man, we're getting into an amazing mind. A friend, a brother, a partner. Holy cow. I can say all those things and I actually mean them. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Charlemagne the God to Goldmine. Yeah. What's going on? Kevin, multi-billion dollar heart. <laughs> he doesn't even deny it no more. I used to say Kevin, billion dollar heart, and he'd be like, stop, Charlemagne. It's not about the money. It's about the opportunities. And he don't even deny it no more. He just gives the rich, wealthy laugh. Well, you know, I don't discuss my finances, Charlemagne. I never have, right? It's not about the money. It's it's about the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you know what? I'm I'm very happy to be on this side of a conversation with you. You know, you are always on the other side. You're always asking the questions. You're always talking from a POV of not only your your personal interests, but what you feel the fans, the listeners on all your platforms, because it's not just one. By all, I do mean all, man. I got to congratulate you at the top of this because you deserve a major congrats. You deserve your world of flowers because progressing in the business of entertainment you are, man. The guy that once started out as a, as a what, what would you call that? I mean, you were a co-host when you were with Wendy? Sidekick? Yeah, sidekick, sidekick. co-host, yeah. Sidekick to Wendy. More of a sidekick. Early on in your career has evolved to not just a host, but a television personality, to a journalist, to an author. So much you're doing, man. How do you personally feel about your progression at this point? Is it surreal to you or is it expected? It's always surreal. And uh, my, my mother gave me a piece of advice maybe like nine, 10 years ago that I just always hold on to. She said, just be happy that you're making a living. Mm. And that's always been my mindset. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I live a blessed life. You know, sometimes you just wake up in the morning, you look around your house, you know, you, 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 you look at your kids, you look at your wife, you, you jump in your car, and it's just, it's just the little things, you know. Just I remember, you know, being fired from radio four times. I remember being too proud to go, you know, stand on the unemployment line after I got let go from Wendy because I thought people would know me and make jokes. You know, I remember that. So when you come from those type of, you know, extremes, like everything, everything feels like a blessing. Like gratitude is truly, truly my attitude. And I'm just, I'm literally just happy to be, to be making a living and not, and not just making a living for myself. You know, when you talk about the different entities that that I have, whether it's the Black Effect Podcast Network or what we do at, you know, Audible with SBH Productions or the, the book imprint Black Privilege with Simon & Schuster, is being able to provide, you know, jobs for others. Like, I feel like anything I do nowadays that just benefits me is not big enough. Absolutely. I mean, you're on the other side of the conversation now. I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a coin that has two sides in real life all the time. That heads and tells is honestly a perspective that you can look 
and learn from, right? You can look at it and learn from because, you know, there's a side of one point where you want the fame, you want the success, you want the lights, the camera, the action, the attention. And then there's the other side where you just want to be a part of economy, change, right? Opportunity for others, growth. Um, you know, you want the baton so that you can pass it on to the people around you, your family, your your, your kids, I mean, your friends, etc. These are all things that you do need to do and learn to do at a very high level right that's the side that you're on and i can hear when you speak i don't back you up because you said yo man this is like when i got fired and i was too i was too you know i was i was ego driven to the point where i didn't want to go stand in the unemployment line i was embarrassed right why did you get fired from wendy what was the reason why did i get fired oh you know when i got fired from wendy it was like it was really just because of economics it was 2008 because i got fired uh november second of 2008 mm. and they literally fired like 25 people you know from inner city broadcasting uh, in new york at the time and they fired wendy's li they literally fired wendy's whole staff the only person they kept was wendy and the board up now at the time wendy was making her transition to television you know so they was giving the radio station a lot of hell and then you know they had this new rating system called ppm and ppm came and it was a flawed rating system, right? Because literally one day Wendy was number one, the next day she was number 25. Like that just doesn't even, and I'm talking about literally, I'm not talking about an exaggeration, literally one, number one, one day, then the very next day she dropped to like 25. Like, so, you know, PPM has kind of evened itself out now. So it's more, it's, it's, it's less flawed than it used to be. But at the time, you know, it was a very flawed system. So I think they just used that as an opportunity to like, you know, kind of kick Wendy when they thought she was down because they knew she didn't really want to be there. Mm -hmm you know, much longer anyway. And they knew she was probably leaving to go to television anyway. So that's that's what that was. But they literally fired 25 people from uh, inner city broadcasting in New York at that time. And I was one of them. How did the next opportunity come? Right? Like, I mean, when you're, you're in that situation, like you said, and it, it seems like these doors are closing. Uh, of course, one, you got to be determined to figure out where the next one is coming from. And two, like, you got to have a plan. You got to have a path. Um, you got to have, like the will to keep going what what is it that put you in a position to get the next job how did that like what was that roadmap for you man i didn't have one because you know i had never been in that position before even though th that was my third time being fired from radio and every time i got fired from uh, a radio station i always ended up in a better situation whether it was when i first started at uh hot, when i started at z93 jams i quit there and went to this station called hot 989 it was a smaller station but when i got fired from there i ended up you know doing radio from in, in columbia south carolina because i was in charleston south carolina at the time columbia is the capital of of of, of south carolina i'm sure you've played the township auditorium and you know the, the coliseum there right yes. so that's a bigger market so more artists and stuff started to come through there. That's how I even got the attention of, you know, a Wendy, you know, back then. And that's when we really started utilizing the internet and putting all our content online. So I started to get more of a national presence. So then when I got on Wendy's show, got fired from there, I, I, my, my daughter had been, my daughter was born June of 2008. And so I got fired November of 2008. So I was just at home with her until like, April or May of 2009, my, 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 my now wife, she was the one going to work and she was the one, you know, p paying the bills. Cause like I said, I was too proud to go collect unemployment and you know, Phil Philadelphia came calling your hometown, 100.3 to beat in, in Philadelphia, Elroy Smith, man, you know, mm -hmm. he just reached out to me and they was like, 
<laughs> we got a morning show position open, and you know we've heard what you you know what you did on Wendy, and we think that you can you know do mornings. And they they literally bought me wow. to to do mornings with wow. nothing. Like I didn't have no producer, I didn't have no co-host, no nothing. It was just me doing a morning show. And then eventually they let me hire a a good friend of mine named Sasha Katie, and me and Sasha used to drive every morning from. Uh, Lynnhurst, New Jersey, and Rawway, New Jersey, respectively, because I have to used to have to leave Lynnhurst to pick her up in Rawway, and then we would drive back and forth every day doing morning radio. That's huge, man. That's fucking huge. I mean, literally, like these are the stories that so many people don't know, aren't aware of, um, but that adds so much foundation underneath the person that you see in a space of success, right? Like it's not, it's never given. It's always earned, always earned, right? So now you get this opportunity. I mean, the opportunity now manifests, it blossoms into so much more. You at the Breakfast Club, right? I mean, the trajectory that you were able to get here, the growth in person, personality, et cetera. When did you start to see like, oh shit, this is, this is becoming like something much more than where and what I once was. Like, this is a real thing. This is going to be the springboard for the real birth of where I see myself going. Did you get that light bulb? That's a fantastic question. I knew that, uh, I knew when we first all got together, me, Envy, and Angelie at the time, I knew that we were going to be a nationally syndicated morning show. That I knew. I didn't realize we would get as big as we've gotten. I just knew that we would be a nationally syndicated morning show at the time. I, I really didn't understand what that meant. Um, I think when I really started to realize how big the show was, was when I started to do things outside of the show. Uh, two moments that I remember specifically when I put out my first book, Black Privilege Opportunity Comes to Those Who Create It. Um, I'm a person who had removed themselves from the scene, so to speak. Like, like there was a time where we'd be out hosting all the parties and, you know, popping up at all the clubs, staying out all hours of the night, and then coming into the to, to, to work in the morning. And I never forget, man, one day I passed out. Like literally just passed out on the floor at the radio station. And Envy and Angela were actually laughing at me. And I'm like, I actually think I'm dying. Like I like I could I never felt like that in my life. So I went to the emergency room and I was dehydrated. Because the drinking and the, 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 you know, the, the weed, all of that stuff had caught up to me. And so yeah. at that moment, I was like, yo, I got to make some you, lifestyle changes. You were dead. You were I was dead. dead. I'm, I'm laying on the floor and they're laughing. Like they're literally laughing at me. Right. And so I get up and um, when, when I, I'm sitting in the emergency room and I say, yo, whatever I want to be doing five years from now, I got to start wow. doing now. So I started making those changes. Like I'm like, I'm not going to the club no more. You know, yeah, that's good money at the time, but I'd rather sacrifice that for something bigger in the future. So that's that was like 2013, 2014. I started working on my book, right? I uh, end up getting a deal with Simon & Schuster. My book comes out 2016. I think the first week, I don't, I don't even remember how many copies I sold. I just remember it debuted at like number six on the New York Times bestsellers. Actually, I think it sold like 25, 30,000 copies first week. Mm -hmm. And it was debuted at number six on the New York Times bestsellers list. And I got a call mm -hmm. from our good friend, Steve Harvey. And Steve Harvey said, my brother, let me tell you something. Whatever you thought it was, it ain't no more. You know how Steve talked. Whatever you thought it was, it ain't no more. 
Okay, things are about to change, and they are about to change fast, and I hope that you are prepared, and I hope that you have, you know, been focused, and I hope you have shifted things in your life to, to, uh, to, to be prepared for everything that's about to come your way. And he was right, because, like, for the next eight, nine weeks, the book was, you know, on New York Times bestsellers list, and I started getting, like, a bunch of, like, different speaking engagements. Like, the, 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 the platforms changed. It was, oh, now you're on you know, late night shows like Colbert and now you're on Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz, like everything just, just, just changed like just, just that fast. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it was that moment. And it was when actually, oh, it was the same year. I put the book out 2016 and then that was a, the presidential election year. And what you started to see was you started to see people like at the time, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton surround themselves with a lot of black people. And these black people were telling them, you have to mm-hmm. go do the breakfast club. Like, you have to go sit with Charlemagne and Envy and Angela Yee. Like, you have to. And so we sat with uh, Bernie Sanders, and it was me, Bernie Sanders, Envy, Angela, and Killer Mike. We sat with Hillary Clinton, and then it was like, that's when everything really started to shift. Because now we're not just in the world of entertainment. We're in the world yes. of politics, you know? And these are, these are people competing to be yes. world leaders, the, the leader of yes. the free world. And, you know... From that moment on, 2016 to like now, people just, you know, take us serious as a platform. And, you know, those were like the first two people who were running for president who came to the show. And then when the the, the next election came around in 2020, everybody and their mother, you know, started showing up to the Breakfast Club. Every single Democrat that was running came to the Breakfast Club. And that's those four years, those six years, actually, is when the conversation changed, 2016, or 2016 to 2020, and then, you know, even, even 2020 to now. Like, you hit the nail on the head, right? And where I was getting at in the conversation, you're, you're basically positioning me to segue to perfectly. It's like, as your success started to grow, the of course the show's success is growing as well right breakfast club is getting bigger but more importantly breakfast club is becoming a a stop that's necessary with the culture attached to it if you're doing anything from a marketing promotion um just just like i guess you could say side like if you are marketing if you are promoting if you need people the connective tissue that's attached to the breakfast club was one of value you got to go there you got to go to their platform myself included right outside of the personal relationships when i'm doing something i'm talking about something big it became a necessary stop like i was the one in rooms bringing it up to studios make sure when i go to new york i go to the breakfast club hey listen i'm talking about book movie tv show i don't care what it is make sure i make a stop at the breakfast club like it it became a priority and i can say i really started to look at you guys with a wow effect is when that political side started to happen you know when you guys now got political figures coming on to make sure that people understand not just the the conversation attached to voting the importance of voting but it started to change about personnel about what this person is talking about versus this one. But then you guys started to get even better where I felt like you were now noticing your power and your conversation started to change because you guys became a little more passionate about your POVs, about your interests, about your output. And you become a political figure uh, to a certain degree, especially on the side of culture and community, Charlemagne. And not that you have not 
never been that. But I think like now you're so well read, you're so conscious of so much and you take the opportunity to speak on these things where some would shy or most would shy, you don't. And there seems to be a confidence attached to that. Is that something that you feel that you started to get in game as well? Like a, a, a more confident approach to having your narrative, your verbal, your beliefs, and not worrying about backlash or things that could be agreed or disagreed with? Yeah, you know, because my mom always told me to, to read things that don't pertain to you, and, and I've always done that, not just not just with the reading, but I've always taken in things that may necessarily not be so-called in, in, in what would, people would consider my wheelhouse, right? So it's just things, you know, outside of hip-hop. So I always was the person watching CNN, uh, watching MSNBC, watching Fox News, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, even when the, the, the hip-hop that we listen to, like, we can't sit here and act like, you know, Public Enemy, uh, Killer Mike, and, you know, these brothers weren't socially conscious you know they always were so it's kind of like that was our cnn you know for the hood so for me it wasn't even it wasn't even something that was like that i couldn't have conversations about you know i actually loved it because i get to ask those questions Mm -hmm. that i know you know those 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 brothers in the barbershop want to be asked you know what i mean are those sisters in the beauty salon are like you know the conspiracy theories that we sit around and discuss as 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 humans every day in the hood i get to actually talk to these you know movers and shakers about those things so yeah to your point you know um not not just confidence in what i'm speaking man i have a great team of people around me who are in that field and just that field specifically you know what i mean whether it's the that's a great job yeah whether it's the angela rise or great. the bakari sellers or the tesla figaro's like nina turner tamika mallory these are people that i speak to all the time because the same way celebrities use breakfast club you know to promote what they're doing in the entertainment world you know these people use breakfast club to promote you know, what they're doing in the political world to get messaging out. So being that I speak to them quite often, I learn so much. And that's why I'm able to have these conversations. What is a kid's perception of dad, right? And and what dad does and, and where dad now is and, you know, how many things dad has his hands in. How do your kids feel? My oldest is 14. Uh, then it's a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. 14-year-old fully understands it. Not sure how much she cares, mm-hmm. you know, um, because like you're a teenager and, and you know, you you kind of get frustrated sometimes because if you grew up the way we, we grew up. We grew up poor. Right. We didn't grow up with much like, you know, what I mean, but you, you almost kind of want to instill struggle in your kids and tell you like, why? That's not that's exactly what we're not supposed to do. Like we are trying to raise trauma free young men and trauma-free young women and that's why we're in the positions that that we're in so you kind of get kind of frustrated that you know like yo you don't understand like you're not excited about this like i never forget i went to go see i went to the premiere of ava duvernay's wrinkle in time and you know oprah was there and you know oprah came over and we had a great conversation and my daughter at the time she's 14 now she might have been like eight when this came i don't know eight seven maybe and she she was like like, yeah, I did a book report on you. And it's funny how they look at they look at people like Oprah, like, mm-hmm. like ancient almost. Like, you know, they, they do book reports on them. Like, oh, I did a book report on you. And she was like, oh, 
okay. And Oprah was you know, happy about that and talking to her about that. But she was like, my, t- my daughter was like, but I didn't know you before I did the book report. I'm like, yo, yeah. shut up, little so girl. You just like, kick what are you doing? Shut you know your ass up. <laughs> but, knock your floor. Exactly. Knock your goddamn head <laughs> off when we then, get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then it's like when some oh little Disney star comes around, they shit on themselves. She freaks out a little yes. bit. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So it's just like, I don't know what, you know, gets them going now. It's interesting. Like, you know, even if I'm at dinner with them, because, you know, my daughter's a competitive cheerleader. So if I'm at dinner and we're out of town and it's the parents and it's the kids, sometimes the kids sit by themselves. Sometimes they sit with us. And, you know, sometimes I'll be sitting there. I remember one time uh, one of her friends was like, I was on YouTube and I was looking up stuff about SZA and an interview with you and SZA popped up. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? What I like, what, what you Yeah, did. what I say. What I, I don't do. know what version. <laughs> Exactly. I don't know what variant of me you got. I don't know who knows what the hell I said to Scissor back then. I don't know. So that's the that's the part you kind of are that gives you anxiety that you're kind of afraid of, right? As a parent, but you know, you just got to be honest with your kids. I but the, I really I really don't know how my kids view me. Like he, like my seven year old will say things like, "Dad, if I'm a, I'm cause my my seven year old loves to write stories and loves to draw." She'll be like, "Dad, um, you, you gonna publish my book? Yeah, yeah. When I write one." And I'm like, you damn right I will. By the way, that's the type of stuff that's going to happen. It's going to show you that they're not only listening, but they're aware. Right? Like, it, it, it'll, it's going to sneak up on you when you see that you're rubbing off. Right? And it may not be in the manner that you're looking for it. Something's going to happen, and it's just going to show itself. Like, you know, the kids are sponges. And if you're giving the information, you're constantly, like, putting it in the space for them to pick it up. They may not voice it right off the back that they're receiving it, but something will happen, and it'll show you, okay, it's in there. It's in there. That that work ethic, that idea of That's right. learning that they got to do something, figure out something, apply themselves to something, it's in there. Like, it's they, they're not going to watch you operate at the level you do and you're not going to be hands-on while doing it and they not take anything away from that even through the the highest level of stubborn they will they will take that as a as a guy who's got four as well and i'm going through it with my teenager uh my oldest that's about to go to college i mean i'm seeing like okay wow she's been listening she's ready like you know and it's and it's the biggest compliment that you can ask for as a parent just that your kid that's right has basically locked in some of the tidbits that you've been given throughout all the fucking years. And that's why it's good to diversify you diversify your portfolio, right? Because, you know, you don't necessarily want your kids to just be in entertainment. Like, you know, my daughter in, in, in ninth grade, they're teaching them financial literacy classes, right? So she knows about stocks and things of that nature. So, okay, let's go get you a, a S&P, you know, 500, you know, let's, let's, let's put her on salary. She's 14 now. So she can understand money a little bit more, right? Like me and her mom, we just bought, you know, six crystal franchises in, in, in our home state of South Carolina. So maybe there's other things you want to get into that don't have anything to do with entertainment. And I, and I, and you know, she's in the car with me a lot cause I'm picking her up from cheerleading practice in school. And I will have a business conversation on the phone, on speaker, for her to hear, mm-hmm. you know, to, to your point. Cause I, you know, like, I don't mm-hmm. know what she may be picking up. I know what I picked up from my parents that they weren't, didn't mm-hmm. think I was paying attention to. So why not let her be privy to these, you know, these business conversations, things that don't have nothing to do with entertainment, like these real estate conversation and these, these franchising conversations, you know, like that's what I'm asking her questions. Like where, where, where would you want me to get a, a, a beach house at? Would you want me to buy it here? Or you want me to buy it there? Like things like that. It's motivation. 
It's inspiration at the highest level. But on gold mines, I got to pay the bills. Let's take a quick break. Welcome back. Dude, I got to go into another stage with you, right? Something else that I think is so dope. You are also a advocate for mental health, right? And uh, something that you have passionately spoken about and spoken on for quite some time. Like you have made it a point to, you know, um, basically drive black men towards the understanding of therapy and the importance of therapy and the importance of speaking up, not feeling like you have to keep problems to yourselves or hold on to these things that are uh, trauma filled. And, and, and that anxiety is something that's common amongst a lot of people. Like you, you have, you have put yourself in the forefront of it, been a voice of it. And it's been now years and you're seeing a following, you're seeing a response from that. What is it that clicked that made you say, fuck that? I gotta, I gotta start talking about this on a, on a more public level. Um, on a platform. I can't just go through this battle by myself. What was it that made you say, I need more people to understand and be aware? Man, it was just a cry for help. I was losing my damn mind. You know what I'm saying? I was losing my damn mind. I was out here in these streets. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, drinking, you know, doing drugs 100 miles per hour, you know, wilding, doing things I ain't, you know, I ain't had no business doing, breaking my wife's heart. You know what I mean? And it was just like, I saw myself becoming what I didn't want to become, which is my father. I love my dad, right? But my dad is also the person who, you know, looked me in the eyes when I was young. And, and, and when I, I caught him cheating on my mom, I'm like, yo, you, you, you know, you're out there cheating on mom. He looked me in my eyes and was like, so you only got one girlfriend? One day you'll understand, right? Mm -hmm. Got older, overstood, right? But mm -hmm. I just saw myself becoming a version of myself that I did not want to be. And, you know, I always dealt with anxiety, I always dealt with bouts mm -hmm. of depression, and I couldn't understand how come um, I've got this success, I've got more money than I've experienced in my life, but I'm just not happy. Literally not happy. And I'm doing all of these different things to feed my ego, and it's literally like pouring water into a cup mm -hmm. that don't have no bottom. So it's like the water just never holds into the cup. And so I, I, I kept hearing a lot of people talk about therapy you know people that i i knew and people that i, I be around or even people come to interviews and you know we're, we're having conversations with them and they would just randomly like just name drop therapy or talk about going to therapy and i would have these conversations with them off the air and just be like yo therapy really works like you know you know i hear you describe anxiety man i feel like that's that, that's 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 something that i deal with because when I got fired for the fourth time from radio and I had to move back with my mom when I was 31, 32 years old and my daughter was like one or two and my now wife had to live back at home with her mom because we're all from the same hometown. We all had to move back to Monk's Corner, South Carolina. I remember driving down I-26 in South Carolina and having like one of the worst panic attacks I ever had in my life, right? And you know, you feel like you're having a heart attack. Now, I had checked myself into the hospital a few times throughout my life thinking I was having a heart attack. And this one really felt like, oh, it's over. Like I'm about to- A self-check into the man. hospital may be the most, I think that is the most like, <laughs> a self-check, the, the, the definition underneath the self-check is extremely high. Cause nine times out of 10, you could be by yourself. And, and to go in there with a self-check, I can only imagine with that level of panic, can't breathe, can't do whatever, and always in a mindset of, oh my God, this is it. Oh my God, this is it. Right. This is happening. Like, 
I can't I can't imagine the level of panic. I can't I can't even fathom the level of panic. Yo, every time I would go to the hospital, they would tell me the same thing. They would tell me that, yo, you got an athlete's heart. You're fine. Nothing's wrong with you. I remember even one time I went, they asked me, did I drink some Red Bull or something earlier that day? And I was like, well, actually, I did have an energy drink. And so they was like, oh, that's what it is. But this time when I went, the doctor said to me, do you suffer from anxiety? I'm like, I don't even know what anxiety is. He said, it sounds like you described a panic attack. And he was like, are you stressed out about anything? And I'm like, hell yeah, <laughs> right? Because so, so in my mind, all I had to do was get back into position, right? Get back, get another gig, get out my mama house. And the next gig I got was Breakfast Club. But like I said, five, six years later, you got more money, more success than you've ever achieved in your life. And you're still not happy. You're still having these anxiety attacks. You're still dealing with this depression. So I just decided to start, start going to therapy. And I never forget, I was on vacation and I felt a... a a moment of peace like I had never felt in my life in a long time. And I, I was like, man, I wish I could feel like this all the time. My wife was like, just go to therapy. Just go. Just give it a try. And that's what I did. And, you know, for me, it would be disingenuous to get on the radio and, you know, talk to everybody else about what they're going through, but not talk about what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with. So it just became something that I started having conversations about and people thought I was bugging. They thought I, first they thought I was lying. And they thought it was a joke. I'm like, I got therapy Friday at 3 o'clock. I got therapy Friday at 3 o'clock. And so it became a joke. Like, we know what Charlemagne's at on Friday at 3 o'clock. But then it's like after a while, people started being like, hold up. He really going to therapy. You can see see something shifting. You can see how something has changed. Like people like when you you said earlier, you, you, you know, you appreciate my growth. It's like, yo, that's the biggest compliment somebody can can give me. Right. Because I really went out here and did the work. In a real way. What was the discovery that you found that you said, okay, this is what I have to heal from? Daddy issues. Daddy issues. Okay. A hundred percent daddy issues. I went to therapy for anxiety and depression and uh, start peeling back those layers and realized that a lot of my uh, triggers and traumas come from, you know, my, my father. Love my dad to death. He's a great man. And when, when, when I started talking about my issues, I started talking about my issues back in like 2016, 2018. I put out a book called Shook One, Anxiety Plans, Tricks Tricks on Me. He read the book and also the week he read the book, uh, a younger cousin of mine completed suicide. He had tried to complete suicide four different times, finally completed suicide. And my dad called me. I never forget. It was was the week of Thanksgiving. I was home in South Carolina. He called me and he said, yo, um, I was going to therapy two and three times a week. And I tried to kill myself 30 plus years ago. And I've been on 10 to 12 different medications throughout my life, you know, for my depression and things of that nature. He said they could never figure out what was wrong with me. So the state of South Carolina just started giving me a check. And I remember going to my mom and saying, mom, you know, dad was going through all of this. And mom was like, shoot, I thought he was just playing crazy to get a check. You know what I mean? So it's just like he was um, a person who was just doing the best he could with what he had, but you know, him not being the best version of, of himself didn't allow him to raise us to be the best versions of ourselves, you know. And I remember being in therapy, and the first breakthrough I had, which I, where I actually cried, was when I realized my dad would discipline me for things he never taught me. You know what I mean? Like, literally, like, he, like, I remember, yeah. but, I mean, it's, 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 I remember one time I was driving behind him, and uh, he, I, I just got my license. I'm like 15, I'm like 16 years old. I'm driving behind him. And so he's like, follow me, do everything I do. I'm like, cool. So he's driving. We're leaving off, uh, off, off one road to get on the highway. He runs the stop sign. 
So I run the goddamn stop sign. He told me to do everything that he that, that he did. So I ran the stop sign. So he pulls over, and I pull over behind him. He gets out the car, walks to the car, smacks the shit out of me. Like, motherfucker, wake up. You ain't see that goddamn stop sign? In my mind, I'm like, I'm following you. Yeah. You told me to do everything that, you, you know, you do. So that, you know, was like thing. Like I said, he disciplined me for things that he never he never, he never, never taught me. So that that's when I heard. I remember Kendrick Lamar had that song on his last album, uh, well, he's talking about his his daddy issues, you know what I mean? And I thought that that was such a powerful, powerful record because I never heard a black man ex- express that. Well, Jay Z did, Jay Z did in uh, uh in, in that song with Beanie Siegel, uh, "Daddy, Where yep. You Been?" But yep. it's like, yo, I think men don't talk about the dynamic between them and their fathers enough, and how that's the first role model we have. That's the person who shaped us when we was young, and we end up having to unlearn. A lot of the bullshit that they instilled in us. Well, you know the crazy thing is like when you say a lot of the bullshit that they instilled in us is like when you're in it, you don't see it as bullshit necessarily unless it's connected to like some real physical shit, right? And it's like when you're out of it and you're older and you start to look back and you can revert to a lot of those things, now you start to divvy up the kind of right from wrong the the bullshit the bullshit from the good shit right and it's like as fathers now what do we take from that like you know myself and just having a father that uh was extremely hit or miss with a lot of different things right and you know in my life out my life drugs on off etc it's like you take all those bad things and what i was able to do was say well i'm going to apply the world of knowledge and understanding of what I don't want to do so that I can try to do these other things better and at the highest of my ability. How can I do these things right to give my kids a different a different level of love and attachment from their father? So, you know, I kind of look at it with that gift and curse mentality, right? Like with the knowledge I have now, I'm able to be a better dad, provide a different source and world of love would I have had that? Would I have done that with a different energy from my dad? Granted, I would probably be a little different emotionally with my feelings, et cetera. But would I have the same level of want to make sure that they're getting the things that they need? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, my dad is my first hero, you know what I mean? But he's also, I realized when I was very, very young that um, he was making a lot of mistakes. You know, like the biggest mistake I saw is when he got... And him and my mom ended up getting a divorce. You know what I'm saying? And I I, I remember them getting a divorce. How old were you? Oh, how old was I? Man, it's been it's been about 25 years, maybe, maybe longer. Probably, uh, I don't know, 17, 18, something like that. I'm 44 now. I'm terrible at math. I got a South Carolina public school education. I don't know. Don't look, don't look at me. Don't look over here. Like I didn't figure it out fast. But yeah, I, I was like I was like 17, 18. Don't bring it over here. Don't, don't shift the shift the mad problem this way. Like I'm faster. But, but I was numb to it back then. You know what I mean? I was numb to it. I didn't I didn't think nothing of it because I was already out and about trying to figure things on my own. You know. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I didn't stop to like process what that did to our family. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't stop the process that. I just knew that that's not what I wanted for me and my family as I got older. And then, you know, you get older and your, your dad tells you things that you need to hear. Like, man, the worst thing I ever did was leave your mom. You know what I mean? Or, or the worst thing I ever did was cause your mom to leave me. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's that kind of language, him acknowledging he was wrong, 
that allows me to know, okay, so I was right. Like, I'm not supposed to be on that path. That's why I'm so quick. That's why I'm quick to apologize to my kids. Because, you know, we all fall short, right? None of us perfect. You might end up yelling at your kid. I don't beat my kids at all. I don't, I don't put hands on my children at all. But you might yell at them or you might get short with them because, you know, you're in the middle of something or, you, you know, you might have had a, a rough day, whatever it is. But I'm quick to apologize to my kids because I realize that's something else I never got when I was young. You know, I never had my dad say, yo, I apologize. You know, I, was, I, was, I, I shouldn't have done that that way. I, I never got that until I was older. You know, and you'd be surprised how much how much man that can that can lift off you, take off you. No, that sorry that sorry means a lot. I mean, just communicating how you communicate in general with your kid. That's a that's that's an ongoing learning experience, right? Because you're con- you're constantly as parents in this generation, like we're walking on thin ice. We really are with the way that we're talking and the way that we like how sharp or not sharp or you know, aggressive or not aggressive. Like we're, there's, there's a constant battle of understanding too much and too little. Like, let me make sure that I'm always navigating in the space to be understood. Of course, still be a parent, but at the same time, be heard. Like, I don't want to get to a point to where you, you don't hear me or you're blocking off the things that I'm saying. And that's my, that's my biggest like back and forth. And telling kids why, right? Like kids will ask questions. Yeah. Back in the art day, we asked why. Either we were too scared to ask why, or when we did ask why, it was like, do as I do, not do, do as I do, do as I tell you to do. You know what I mean? Do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. But don't ask me no goddamn questions, boy. Do what the hell I tell you to do. Mm-hmm. You know? That's not, that's not helpful. That's not teaching me nothing. I want to talk about the next stages for you, right? We talked about your book. I mean, you and I have an amazing company that we started through Audible. Um, and, you know, I love that we're growing, right? We're, we're doing things, and I feel like we're just getting started. We're figuring it out, right? And the expansion um, of the world of what we can now bring based off of what we've already done is going to be massive because this space of IP and IP development through the audio space, um, it's something that's unique. And, you know, people are gravitating towards it, right? And I, mm-hmm. I can only say that, the future is bright for our company, our partnership with Audible, and the opportunities. I mean, Summer of 85 is an example. Um, Finding Tamika is another example. These are all things that are available on Audible, too, for our listeners. But, you know, these are amazing stories, um, great stories uh, that should be heard, that you that you should listen to. Um I narrated one of them, uh, and it's actually an award-winning IP at this point, which is yeah, one of audience, right? Yeah, one of Audi. Um, but that's just one tier to the business you're now in. You're still an author. There's still books. Um, you have your talk show. You're talking about your podcast that you do as well. You're talking about uh, the Breakfast Club. These are all things. There's multiple branches on this tree. What else do you want to do at this point? Everything, everything. I know that's a broad, uh, a, a, a broad statement to say, but I do. I, I, cause you never. Here's the thing: I never knew that I wanted to do sixty percent of the things that I'm doing now. It's just that you know, the more you elevate, right, you get a different view of the world and you you meet new people and you know new people come into your life and introduce you to new things and tell you other things that you should be doing and that's that's the beauty of it for me like there's things that I didn't even realize I had a passion for 
you know, because I didn't know anything about them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I didn't know anything about a lot of these things that I'm, I'm currently into. Like, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know a lot about franchising. You know, I didn't know a lot about just, you know, in, in, in investing period. Like, you know, my, my whole thing was to save, save, save. That's the, that's what I come from. Like keep as much in the shoebox as possible. And it's like, no, let's, let's, let's go over here and do this. Let's go over here and do that. And when you start seeing that vertical money, man, I mean, that horizontal money, when you start seeing that horizontal money, that's a different ball game. The vertical money is when you got to be up on your feet all day. That horizontal money is when you're sleeping. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when you start seeing that, you start to realize how you can really, really, really play this game. But, you know, for me, like I said earlier, it's not about me per se. It's about what can I build that can provide opportunity for others. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, if, if, if I have something that's, you know, if, if, if whatever I build is just for me and it only benefits me, it's just it's not big enough. Like I literally love creating jobs. That's the conversation. You know, we don't have enough. Everybody want to stunt, you know, especially in this ownership conversation. Right. Everybody's like, oh, you know, I own this and I own that. It's like, yeah, but how many jobs you provide? Mm-hmm. And that's why I love I love the conversation you had with uh, Jay-Z on um, on Heart to Heart on Peacock when Jay was talking about what's the point of owning 100 percent of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He was like, if you own 1% of a trillion-dollar company or a billion-dollar company, think about how much that is. And when I hear those type of conversations, it doesn't register to me like, oh, these brothers are talking about, you know, making money for their own personal gain. These brothers are talking about the jobs that they can create. That's the challenge that we need to have. Don't, Don't talk to me about your cars. You know, don't talk to me about your jewelry. How many... And people are you employing? How many people directly have jobs because of what you created? You know what I mean? How many people are you, you know, because of you, there's, their, their seven figures are going to their bank account or, you know, high six figures going to their bank account, you know, even, even tens of thousands of dollars, whatever it is, how many jobs are you providing, you know, with what you're doing? That's the conversations I like to have nowadays. You're doing amazing fucking work, man. Um, the the success and the things that are successful that you are attached to is not a coincidence things are earned not given man and the life choices that you have made uh clearly are paying off clearly are paying off man and you know it's a it's a hard thing to check yourself for the listeners just understand that like you're talking about someone who checked themselves who saw the way they are were operating and didn't like the road that that operation was leading to and he checked himself we all can use a little checking myself included man and you know it's a tough thing to look in that mirror and hold yourself accountable but sometimes it's the right thing to do Charlemagne is an example of that and an example of the wins that can come and follow man i thank you so much for being on gold bonds brother and i thank you just for being a dope ass example a dope fucking example man kev i appreciate you man i feel the same way about you brother you are a, a true inspiration you know anybody who's you know ever read you read your book they 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 will really understand um the, the the struggle that you 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 went through but also just the reinvention people don't talk about that like this is this is I mean, right now we're probably looking at like third, fourth stage yeah, of Kevin yeah, Hart. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? But you got to go look at you got to go look at the Kev who 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 got his shot in Hollywood before, and and things didn't work out. Like you could have just been one of these sour, disgruntled, bitter comedians, but you said, "Nah, that's not gonna be me, man." And you know now we're looking at mogul, billion dollar Kev who doesn't even deny 
being it's billion dollar money, Kev no more. Mean? It's about the jobs that we're creating for others. It's about the opportunities. It's about the goals. That's what it's about. <laughs> all right. What we will not do is in this on a financial uh, swing. We will <laughs> in the space of motivation, inspiration. Oh. Guys, you already know what it is. It's gold mines. Y'all know what the fuck we do here, man. We get inside the minds of amazing people, and today was no different. God damn, what an amazing mind this was. Charlemagne, once again, man, nothing but love. We appreciate you. Thank you, champ. Thank you, brother. Listen to an extended version of this show as well as my radio show, Straight From The Heart, and all sorts of great stand-up and talk on Laugh Out Loud Radio Channel 96 on the XXM app. New subscribers get three months free by going to SiriusXM.com backslash Laugh Out Loud Radio. That's SiriusXM.com backslash L-O-L Radio. Offer details apply. Gold Pies with Kevin Hart is a serious XM and LOL radio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Eric Eddings, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald.